that's a growler. And welcome to another edition of Popcorn and Pickles, the podcast where we talk about movies, new movies and old movies, or just anything else we feel like talking about. I'm Letty. And I'm John. And today is especially special because... Especially special. Yes, especially special because we have two guests with us tonight. The first one is Johnny. Johnny, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, we're super glad that you're with us. and. What is your experience with the movies? Uh, like all movies or just this movie? All movies. What expertise do you bring to this? Well, I'm very unique in that I feel like a, a very, I would say, below average moviegoer and that I really enjoy movies, but I have absolutely no experience or knowledge. People are like, oh, yeah, that's a great actor. I can really tell they did a great performance. Or, oh, that's a horrible actor. Their acting is horribly. I'm like, I, I don't know. They, they're kind of the same. They can't really tell the difference. But I've watched movies my whole life. So there's that. Okay. <laughs> so I would say that you're in the same line of expertise as I am, which is none. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit lower. <laughs> a few years younger. So. Okay. Um, our second guest is Mackenzie. Mackenzie, we're so happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to join you. Mackenzie, what can you tell us about your movie experience? I super love movies and I'm a graphic designer. So I am really judgmental of movies in their cinematography, especially lighting. And I love fashion. So I'm always judging what they're wearing. And I usually know where people buy the things on the sets. So we'll see if I have anything to say about that this time. That's definitely an area that we could use more expertise in, for sure, on the visual side of things. Let's talk about our expectations for this movie. Today, we're going to be talking about The Circle, which is a movie that I was really excited to see. I think I was the one who suggested us to watch this movie, mostly because of Tom Hanks in the film. But I was also curious to see what Emma Watson was going to do. Um, anyone who's a listener of this podcast knows I've been pretty critical of her in the past, especially as Beauty and the Beast. So just curious to see what she was going to do in something completely different. Also, I was excited to see um, John Boyega because of his obvious fame due to Star Wars. I was excited to see him in a, in a different role and see what he was going to do with that as well. So I was wanting to see this movie, although I saw it had poor ratings. I was still excited to see it. John, what expectations did you have? Oh, I had pretty low expectations. I knew that it did not do well in the box office. I didn't know until just recently that it didn't even get a cinematic release in the UK. It went straight to Netflix. So I wasn't expecting a lot. I have a lot to talk about, though. <laughs> okay. Well, Mackenzie, were you excited about watching this movie? I was excited. I love Tom Hanks when he's not doing scary travel shows. and. I'm really into technology, and I love the concept that this movie presents, so I was actually really excited to see it, and it was on my uh, Redbox wish list. <laughs> Johnny, what about you? I was the same as McKenzie. I was pretty excited to see the movie. 
from my expertise in movies, I really had no idea how it did in the box office. <laughs> and we saw the trailer. I based everything on watching a movie on the trailers. So we go through and we watch the trailers. And from the trailers, we decide what movies we're going to see, which sometimes works out really well. And sometimes doesn't work out very well because the trailers are made to be awesome. <laughs> but I was excited because it had so many people in there. It had Emma Watson. It had John Boydega. It had uh, Tom Hanks. All these people I recognize. I'm like, oh, yeah. And if I recognize them, then that's a big deal to me because I don't really recognize actors or know their names or anything like that. But I'm like, oh, yeah, the Star Wars guy and the Harry Potter girl and, you know, the castaway guy. Yeah, these are the people I'm like, OK, I'm excited to see this movie. It's got to be good. It's got all these people in it. And I really I'm into technology. So I was really intrigued on that aspect of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be cool. So I was excited to see it. We were all so excited for this movie. And yet it was not. Uh, well, we'll talk about it. Does anyone want to talk about the plot? Does anyone understand the plot enough to talk about the plot? John? <laughs> sure, sure. So our protagonist is May, and May is played by Emma Watson. And so the plot basically is you have this girl, and we see her, probably recent graduate of, of college, but we find her in a job that she absolutely hates and has a friend who is working for a company called The Circle. It looks very similar to something like Facebook or Google, one of these tech companies. And then we find out that she has sick a sick father. Her sick father gives her motivation to want to get health insurance, at least creating a, a subplot there, which uh, I thought was really good and portrayed by uh, Bill Paxton really well. And then she goes to work for The Circle and we deal with what she deals with in the circle. So we've got, interestingly, we have John Boyega. Let's, I guess we can just jump right into it. We have John Boyega, who's playing the non-threatening black guy, who's the founder of this tech company. And I don't know that I completely understand him. I'm not sure why he stuck around, because he was against what the company was doing, wasn't he? I mean, he, he goes and he grabs Emma, Emma Watson, he grabs May, takes her to this Something underground. I mean, it was an old abandoned subway. Okay. And what were they going to do in the old abandoned subway? Did they have plans for it? There was a room underneath there that held an insane amount of data servers. Yeah. Data okay, servers to store everything like really super secretly. It's funny because when that part came in, I, my fingers were crossed and I thought, ooh, alien technology, make this sci-fi, this is going to get good. And it kind of fell on its face. But I didn't understand the motivation of John Boyega in that here he was, the owner, creator of The Circle, obviously rich as all get out, was off the grid, but then suddenly picked Emma Watson and told her, oh, The Circle is doing all these bad things. and. That's what I was struggling with. Yeah, I agree. I, I also was thinking about even just what his whole point in the movie, because initially that first scene, which was completely awkward between Emma and Ty, you thought, okay, this is the, the romantic interest in this movie. That's what this guy's going to be. That's what we're led to believe. And then the second or third time that we see him, you realize, okay, that's not what's going on. So what is going on? Because when he first took her, to some room, I thought, okay, this is going to be what leads to like a makeout scene or whatever, you know, and then it totally wasn't. So I'm like, okay, what the heck's going on here? And then the whole character just seemed like, what? 
I don't even know what the point was. And this is huge actor. So I expected him to be doing more in the film than he was. So I don't know. I, I don't have any answers there. It's just confusion. That actually was my favorite part of the entire movie where she's like being led down this dark corridor. And in all of our minds, we're like, okay, she is going with some strange dude down in the basement past all the air conditioners. What is about to happen? And she literally says out loud, great, we're going, I'm going down some dark corridor with a stranger. And she just totally said what everyone was thinking. That was like my favorite part of the whole movie. It was so funny. (laughs) 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 And also, I was wondering at that point, she wasn't even who she became in the, towards the end of the movie yet. What did he see in her that obviously the other people also, the founder, the CEO of the company also saw in her that she's being let in on all this information, like what made her so special? Did they see something we didn't see? I think this is where, if you didn't know, this movie is based off of a novel. And a lot of times when they do that, the movie is worse than the novel is. So I'm really interested to read the novel and see, because I feel like there is so much more to tie the character's background and information that we're not getting simply because they weren't able to put it in, so they had to cut it out. So I feel like a lot of times in movies where you're left questioning and hanging, like, okay, why did they do that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. We don't have enough information. And a lot of times the director or whoever screenwrites it, they'll cut that out because simply of time or pacing, whatever they got to do to get the movie to move along. And I think maybe they made some bad choices or maybe it's not even there in the book and it's not a good book. I I don't know. (laughs) hopefully that would also shed some light on emma watson's character of may as well because i just feel like who she was at the beginning is so totally different from who she ended up being at the end of the movie and there just really wasn't enough there in the context of the movie to get her to that point in my belief and understanding but i think you make a lot of good points there i think the movie brought up a lot of questions and I want to say that maybe the hope of the filmmakers after seeing how terrible the whole film turned out to be, at least what I think, that they thought, well, maybe we can get people talking about privacy. Maybe we can get people talking about data collection or what Emma Watson does and becoming, quote unquote, transparent. And uh, maybe that's what they were trying to do just to be, you know, a conversation starter. I mean, I think that we can go in a lot of directions with the podcast and talking about those issues. They had some pretty interesting scenes with a lot of questions, I think, that uh, we as the rising generation have and need to ask ourselves. And how are we going to embrace the future with everything being recorded, everything being seen constantly? Because that's definitely something they tackled. Yeah, I totally agree. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting or, or cool about this movie is that they pushed that privacy issue so far out there, farther than than anything that I've ever seen, to where it's just basically non-existent and they make it as a right that it should never be there. You don't have the right to have privacy is basically what this movie is saying. And that idea, that concept, I don't feel like it's brand new, but to actually have it out there like that, I feel like is is kind of eye-opening. Like there could come a time where, where we could see that because right now, you know, you have, basically two ways of doing things. There's the, the Apple way, which is they protect your privacy, you know, and they help you do all these things, but it's all locked down. And then there's the Google way, 
where you give them everything and they monetize that and then they help you out and they give you all these great things. So there's two different ways of thinking about it right now. And we've yet to see which way is going to come out on top. You know, who's going to be able to do the most? Is it going to be Google who is able to grab everything you have and you don't really have a say over it? Basically, you don't have any privacy. They take your emails, they take everything. And everybody knows that. And people are okay with that. And they're like, I want to do that. I want to give Google everything because they're going to give me awesome stuff. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with them selling my stuff. I'm okay with them giving me better commercials to fit my needs. I want that. You know, there's those people who want to be transparent and they just want to give everything out. And then there's other people who are like, I want my privacy. You know, I don't want people to know what I'm searching for or, or what I'm buying, what cereal I'm buying in the grocery store. I don't want them to know that. I have a lot to say about everything you just said. <laughs> Your wife knows everything. And by the way, we're married, Mackenzie and Johnny. So I am that person he's talking about that wants Google to know everything. <laughs> I love ad tailoring. I love it so much. Google is so on point with my ad tailoring and I love it. I never see dumb things. I only see cupcakes and couture and baby headbands. I just love it. And I also loved in the movie how they drilled that people don't do anything wrong when they're being watched. I absolutely believe that 100%. So much crime, you know, physical crimes that people commit would not be committed if they were being watched and recorded by people, not even just the government, but by actual random strangers that they would have to be held accountable to. But at the same time, there's a few aspects of privacy that I feel like are really important, like your medical history, for instance. You don't necessarily want everybody knowing your medical history. And if you are struggling with an illness that is not fun, you don't necessarily want everyone knowing, oh, hey, I suffer like seven hours a day. You know, you'd rather put on a brave face and you'd rather go out with your friends and pretend like nothing is wrong for a couple of hours. So I'm okay with the government knowing what I'm doing all the time. I have literally nothing to hide. I don't speed most of the time. And if I do, give me a ticket. I follow the laws. I feel like I'm a pretty upstanding person. So if the government wants to know what I'm doing and all of my social security numbers and my bank account information, then fine, so be it. But I wouldn't want my next door neighbor knowing my social security number and my medical history and all my Google searches, they would be like, well, why is this person searching so much cupcakes? They must be a fatty. <laughs> I'm also pregnant and I really love cupcakes. I think we've decided we need cupcakes at this point. <laughs> I think that brings up a lot of good points. And I would hope that at some point as a society, we probably are going to have some balance between everything but everybody's different. And at least from what I've noticed in being out, most people don't like change, especially really big change. And especially older people, they just have a really hard time with that. John and I have had conversations about the RFID chips in the past, simply because of our recent Disney trips. And they use those chips in their bands. And the technology with those is really amazing. I thought they were just receive as in you could scan something and the data that was in the chip would be received but there also could be programmed to be transmit as well so they're receive and transmit capable and the fact that if you look into it you'll know that in some places some workplaces are already 
chipping their employees so you don't have to have an ID card and stuff like that as you go into work. And for me, I think that's amazing. As a government employee, I would love to have something that's chipped where I don't have to go and get my stupid badge renewed every five years where they take another dumb picture. If I could have a chip in my arm that could talk to the door and say, yes, you can go in this door and I don't have to put in a code and go through all of that every single time. I would love that. I think it'd be amazing. But I can see other people being like, what? You're putting technology in my body? That's not cool. I just feel like this movie brings up some really interesting dilemmas for sure. And it even shows, I thought it was just crazy, the one piece of software that they introduced in the movie to find the quote unquote criminal that they found, which I had some problems with that morally too, because I thought, okay, yes, she did these horrible things, but they didn't address anything as to where she was now. Maybe she's trying to rebuild her life. And they're now saying, we as society are judging you based on these past actions. And they go out and find this person who is a quote unquote bad person. But well, then they turn around and use that same technology to then find May's friend and thus kind of criminalize him as well. And we won't talk about how that all ends. But I mean, it was just interesting seeing, you know, the same piece of technology. You cannot put everybody in the same box or in the same category and say in every situation, this is good. Oh, I agree. I think that it's interesting that it brought up the technology in order to find someone. And they found someone who had been missing, but had not been found or tried for a crime. And so I had morally ambiguous feelings about that, simply because they said that she left her three kids in a closet. They starved while she went on holiday. That was all the information that they gave us. But then as they were tracking this woman and trying to find her, they were telling the people, be careful. And I thought, well, she didn't knife anybody. I mean, she, she stuck three kids in a closet. Again, I, I'm not saying that that's okay, but that's allegedly what she did. And now we, we see this audience of people totally into not only seeing this woman, hard to say that her human rights were being violated. There's just so much going on there. But to see this, this rabid group of people just cheering as this woman is being ripped out from her daily life, had handcuffs thrown on her, and then is hauled off to who knows where to hopefully have a fair trial. But it really threw me for a loop. Yeah, I think the word you're looking for is mob mentality. They really had a mob mentality where they're like, oh, yeah, let's go lynch this person. Let's go hunt him down. We're going to do the right thing. You know, we're, we're going to do what the cops can't do. We're going to take them down, you know. And that's that's the problem with technology, especially a lot of new technologies. You see that it's, it's a double-edged sword to where something will come out and people will be like, oh, this is so amazing. Look at all these great things we can do with it. But then nobody's thinking when they put it out there, all the bad stuff that somebody can do with it. And then when it's out there, somebody's like, hey, look at all these horrible things we can do. Like, this is great. We can We can use this to cause so much harm. And a lot of technology is out there, and it's hard because you got to think about both sides about how it's going to be used. In the one case, yeah, they catch a bad guy, and that's questionable how they go about doing it. But at the same time, that same technology can be used to hurt someone who's not necessarily a bad person or just because the mob thinks they're a bad person. Like, oh, yeah, let's go get this person, too. And really, you know, that's probably shouldn't have been done. Yeah, for instance, with Mercer, he's totally innocent. He's just doing his thing, making his art. And he's totally attacked by uh, essentially PETA. You know what I mean? Like they're essentially attacking him and 
calling him a deer murderer and a deer killer. And that's one of the problems with social media these days is that you get a little glimpse of something and you don't have the whole story. And one person jumps on that one. It offends one person. They jump on it to attack it and then it goes viral. And you've got one million people saying that you're a horrible person and you've done something horrible. And in the instance of this movie, what they kept saying, these numbers like billions of viewers and stuff like that, you're thinking billions of people are seeing him and judging him like how scary and how violated and how alone would you feel if you have literally billions of people calling you a deer killer? 20 to 30 years ago, you used to have to be a member of royalty to have people chase you like that. And nowadays it, it can be anybody. One of the things I wanted to talk about was another topic that it, it tackled was voting and transparency for government, because that was one thing that I thought was fantastic. I thought the idea of having full transparency with our elected officials, for me, I think that's great. I understand that there are things for national security. I'm not the guy to figure out what should be shared, and what shouldn't be shared. But I like the idea of transparency just because, again, you know that these are our leaders. And technically, our leaders are supposed to be our servants. We elect them to serve us. Anyway, getting back to the whole point, the movie addressed voting in more efficient ways of getting people involved. And that's something that I think is really exciting because I think that our current system, if, if our last election did show, is, is really broken. And we have the technology. I mean, we've got phones that require our fingerprints. Surely we can find secure ways utilizing the technology that we currently have so that people can be more active in, in the voting process, I guess, if it's such a problem. But again, is it such a problem? I don't know. I think just on the topic of voting, it's interesting because I, for instance, nobody kill me. I did not vote in the last election. And I don't think I voted in the election before that either. I did. Okay. My wife said I did vote. But how I feel about it is voting is a responsibility, and I sometimes don't feel up to that responsibility. You know, there's a lot of things you need to learn and know about the different candidates to make an educated decision when you're voting. That's true. And when you look at the voter turnout, you see that, okay, maybe, and I don't know what the numbers are, but maybe only 20% of the people go out and actually vote of even those who are registered or something, some ridiculously low number. And you think of the other 80% of the people. Well, obviously, they don't care really about who's running the government or anything because they don't even bother to go out and vote. And if they did vote, how much knowledge would be behind their vote? Would they just be like me? Like, OK, you go down, you vote for the president. But then all the other different things you're voting for, like, I don't know what those people are. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're standing for. You know, you just vote down party lines because that's the easiest thing to do. And if you have 80 percent of the population voting that way, even for the president, is that a better system? I don't necessarily think it is. Right. And that's part of the problem, too. I mean, people, even people who think they're educated, where are they getting this education from? The media and the media is only peddling what they would like, the outcome they would like to see. So, I mean, unless people are really doing their research or really looking into it. That's something hard to tackle, but I feel like now we're going down the road of voting and all that stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> So one of the other big topics that I wanted to bring up that this movie kind of touched on was this idea, and we spoke about it a little bit earlier, but I wanted to go a little bit deeper into it, was this idea of always being watched and how that will change your behavior. And 
I think you see that in May's character where I feel like she was trying so hard to be this person because she has, once she goes transparent, she has everybody watching her. And I think that just change her as a person and how she's acting. And I think it's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of stress. And you can kind of see that sometimes in her acting and in her character to where always being on, always having to act a certain way, she's not being her true self. And maybe she is being a better person, but is that really a good thing? She's not being her true self. And at the same time, she's being someone who she thinks everybody wants her to be. Okay, say people are like, oh, don't fart in public. Farting in public is bad. Well, that's only if everybody thinks farting in public is bad. So is it actually bad? Or if everybody thought farting in public was cool and you don't want to want to fart in public, but since you're transparent, you'll fart in public because that's what everybody accepts as the norm and as the cool thing to do. The other thought that I had along with that was how many of her friends are really her friends? Because the few scenes that it showed where she was socializing with other people once she became transparent, it seemed like now she's the most popular person. Well, everyone wants to be on the May show, right? Because they know she's wearing that camera and they're going to be on TV. So everyone, of course, says hi to her and is nice to her and wants to go to lunch with her because they want their five minutes of fame. Now she's a superstar or whatever, you know? And so people are now being fake nice to her and she has a bunch of fake friends that she never had before she basically had two friends before she became transparent and then afterwards now all of a sudden everybody knows who she is i thought it was interesting how when she became transparent and we saw all of these text message bubbles popping up everywhere how as she talked see she seemed so lonely even though she had she was being transparent and she had all of these people through connectivity she just seemed to be so alone in everything that she did. Well, because she missed her parents, right? Her parents were alienated in one of the scenes and sort of distanced themselves from May because of the whole situation. And so, you know, her truest relationships, the ones that were real and genuine and made before this whole thing were sort of falling apart. I thought a lot about Annie. That's her best friend. And in the beginning, she gets her the job. She's really vibrant and outgoing and really good at her job. And she's really thriving. And then, you know, when May starts to gain popularity with the company, Annie sort of starts to deteriorate. And she deteriorates more and more and more as the movie goes on. And at one point, she looks so tired and so frazzled and so put out. And I just was wondering, like, it doesn't go into necessarily why that's happening to her. You can see she's distancing herself from the company. She's distancing herself from May, but it doesn't go into what her problem with the company is, except a little bit that she's being hounded by her superior. But I feel like for her to be suffering so much, there should have been so much more to the story. And for her to be so defiant, in one of the scenes in a meeting, it should have shown so much more. Like, why is she so defiant all of a sudden to this company that she loved so much 30 minutes ago? I agree. One of the things in, in the meeting that you're talking about, where we've got May as she's pitching ideas and she's transparent and being transparent means that this meeting is being recorded. And this was a big meeting that they set up where May goes from being this person with visionary ideas 
to then becoming almost a Darth Vader type person where she's thinking, hey, let's make it so that people have to vote through the circle. And everyone's like, oh, okay, okay. And then Annie throws some opposition to it. And then she turns into, no, let's make it mandatory through the <laughs> circle and you're thinking okay Anakin what's happening here <laughs> and so as the show went on and as we got to the final scene of the movie I really wasn't quite sure which direction May was going to take I would argue I think that it could be argued both ways because one of the things that Letty and I have deeply talked about is the idea of data collection but how that data can be used as you were saying, Mackenzie, to cater more specifically to us. You know, I was talking to Letty and I was reading this visionary idea in a magazine about this thing that they want to do at Epcot called the Hall of You, where you walk down this hall and just based off of an RFID chip, as you walk down, it will start talking to you and start catering to everything that you like so that you can see, you know, how you're going to be given information in the future and i thought oh this is this is going to be really cool and so that's one of the the ways that it could go but then it also talks about people using information for bad purposes as well but then you one could argue well if everyone's transparent who cares you know because it, it's all out there anyway so i had another thing to say about everyone being transparent the thing with May's transparency is that she's alone in her transparency. So she is sort of alienated in that way. And then she does have a lot of fake friends. But if everyone is transparent, it all of a sudden becomes really difficult to have fake friends because you'll see who that person is hanging out with without you. You could see what that person is saying to other people about you. So if every single person is transparent, I don't feel like it would be as alienating. Every person isn't going to be famous because they're transparent. Every person isn't going to be popular because they're transparent. Everyone would be transparent. Yeah, like I feel like on YouTube, you know, you have YouTube stars and there are billions and billions of people putting videos on YouTube wanting to be a YouTube star and their videos are there. You can go look them up and watch them, but they're not famous. It would be kind of the same thing where you would still have some celebrities and everybody has that opportunity. Everybody has the same access to the technology, but not everybody has that something that other people want to watch or listen to. Okay, let's move on to talk about some of these actors and their performances that they gave. John? All right. Emma Watson. Adequate. She was okay. I did enjoy watching her in a totally different role and I was able to buy into her character pretty easily. So that was something, I guess. The more I've watched the new Beauty and the Beast, the more I've enjoyed it. And I always thought that she was perfect as Hermione anyway. I agree. She was perfect as Hermione. I loved Beauty and the Beast. There was things that irked me throughout the movie the first time I was watching it. We saw it four times in the theater. But the first time Johnny and I watched it, one or both of us cried. We enjoyed it that much. I'm not sure that she is Belle, but she did do a good job. Those are large shoes to fill. But in this movie, she seemed just really sort of more of like a normal person. You know, she didn't have magical powers. She wasn't in a magical movie with a beast. She was just a normal person. 
living a normal, a pretty normal life minus the technology things. So I thought she did a pretty good job. I liked her acting. She sounded like a normal American person. As far as her character development in the movie, I felt like that was so lacking. I just was wondering what she was thinking the whole time. And when you're watching a movie, you sort of want to know what the main character is thinking and you want to have a bit of a predictability there. You want to understand them and you want to agree with them. And the whole time during the movie, I'm kind of wondering, like, what is she thinking? Why is she doing that? Oh, is she doing it for this reason? Nope. Nope, she wasn't. I really have no idea what's going on. Yeah, that's kind of my sum up for all the characters. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, I'm not a aficionado of, of people's acting. Uh, I didn't go to acting school, and I can't tell when people are acting or not. So that's where that is. But I felt like still, even at that base level, I felt like there was so much missing in that I couldn't tell anybody was doing a bad job at their job. I just didn't think they had a job to do there the directors or whoever gave them the scripts or the lines to say, whoever put this movie together really didn't put all the pieces in the movie. I agree wholeheartedly. But one of the other characters I wanted to talk about was Eller Coltrane, who played Mercer. Looking here at IMDb, it looks like he's been in a few movies, probably got his start as Mason in Boyhood, it seems. But oh my goodness, he was awful. He was absolutely awful. He was so rigid in his delivery. And things that he said, the lines that he was given, sometimes I thought, no, no, he didn't just say that. He goes to Emma Watson and she says, why didn't you text me? And he said, because I wanted to look into your eyes. And the way he said it, I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And I get that he was the anti-tech person, I totally understand. But still, it was just so overboard in his delivery. What to me was just so melodramatic. And he's so, you could tell he was so in love with her, but you knew it was never going to happen kind of thing. Oh my gosh. Do you know who I just decided would have been good in that role? PETA. Josh Hutchinson. Oh my gosh. He would have been so much better in that role. (laughs) I felt like Mercer was kind of just, a strange fellow, just a little bit odd, a little bit off, which would make sense that a person who is a little bit odd or a little bit off would get ousted by society, that he would be attacked for something pretty harmless just because he's a little bit weird and a little bit odd and he's going against the grain and he doesn't want to be on social media. His appearance in this movie was just sort of strange. The wardrobe choices for him and his facial hair haircut situation was a little strange. I feel like he might have been better as a 16-year-old boy in this movie rather than what I'm assuming they were 20-somethings out of college sort of age in this movie. Yeah, I would just like to agree with what John said. Looking back now, I can remember the feeling as he was delivering those lines and I was feeling like this is really awkward and weird. Maybe that's what bad acting feels like. I don't know. <laughs> it was interesting because I do remember thinking, oh, this, this should be different. This should not be this way. Or maybe that was the point they were trying to make was that he was so awkward. Maybe, maybe. But yes, Johnny, good acting should make you feel like you are watching surveillance video on people. I mean, good acting. Good acting is going to make you feel like you either hate the person or love the person. So. You're going to have an emotional reaction or an emotional attachment to the person when they are acting. Yes. Which 
bringing that up, I want to talk about Bill Paxton. This was his last movie, which seeing him play a guy who had an illness similar to mine, only because of the treatment that he was receiving, I, I knew that that's what he was dealing with. But he played sick really well. You could tell he lost a lot of weight for this role. And um, he was actually in the TV show CBS's uh, Training Day he didn't look sick when he passed away. He was very healthy playing uh, the most crooked cop in Los Angeles in that TV show when he passed away. But I really like Bill Paxton, even when he sometimes just acted not the greatest like he was in Twister, you know, when he was wearing the coral necklace and had the longer hair and was just saying things like, come on, Joe, sign the papers, sign the papers, Joe. <laughs> oh my gosh, don't you dare hate on Twister. I, I love the movie. I love this guy. And to know that it was his last performance just kind of made me sad. And But I thought he did a great job. And then the woman who played his wife, Glenn Headley, I remember her playing Tess from Dick Tracy, Walt Disney's Dick Tracy. I want to say that came out in either 1990 or 91. I think you're really aging yourself here. I mean, I was in seventh grade. That came out the day after we got out for summer break. So I remember that. I remember I got to go down to MGM Studios, which is now Hollywood Studios. And because it was the big production of the year and Hollywood Studios was where they had all the backstage stuff, I got to see Dick Tracy's costume, Madonna's costume from the movie. And it was it was really cool. So anyway, but she she was in in that and she was in Mr. Holland's Elvis. She played Mrs. Holland and Mrs. Mr. Holland's Elvis. And Apparently, I just found out that she passed away not that long ago as well, a couple months ago. And so this was her last performance. But I thought they did a great job playing May's parents. It was a good fit. It felt very comfortable. I recognized her as well from Mr. Holland's Opus. I think that's the only thing I've seen her on. If you look through her filmography, though, my goodness, you've got everything from Parks and Recreation to Grey's Anatomy. So she's she's been around. <laughs> I'm sure she has. I just don't recognize her. I'm just horrible with actors. Anyways. I was sad or disappointed, I should say, that Tom Hanks did not have a bigger role or a more dynamic role, I guess. I actually really enjoyed his role. And let me tell you why. The reason I enjoyed his role was because of the way he was dressed. And the way he was dressed reminded me of Tim Cook. And I know that he was trying to play a Tim Cook slash Steve Jobs type character. But because he reminded me more of Tim Cook, and because I think Tim Cook is so f just less dynamic when it comes to stage presence as Steve Jobs, I think I just wasn't expecting a lot from Tom when, when he was playing this role. But the part that I really enjoyed was a scene where he gets Emma Watson, May, to confess to a crime that he knew about. And he plays a very interesting god-like character in that role as he starts talking about aren't we just better when we're being watched the way that he was playing a, a god-like character reminded me of the way he was playing a grandfather type character it was more like a dad type character during a monologue on uh, saturday night live i loved tom hanks in this movie i wish that he would have had a more dynamic role like you said i wish more would have happened with this character and he would have even maybe had more screen time. I love my dad, but I like want Tom Hanks to also be my dad. 
And he is old enough and I am young enough that he could be my dad. And I just see him in that role, you know, and he was almost kind of like that role. Like he was the father of the company, delegating things and watching things and holding people accountable for things. And it was totally a dad moment when he's like, do you have something to tell me, May? How many times have I said that to any one of my kids? Do you have something to tell me? That was such a dad daughter moment. And I actually really liked that scene too, where he got her to confess something. Of course, he already knew. As parents, we already know that it was you. But just to get them to say that and then to manipulate your words in such a way that you get them to understand on their own a concept that you're trying to teach them. I was also really sad that we didn't see more of John Boyega in this movie. His scenes were just so short. I guess I was expecting more from him. I was expecting more from him because I was trying to understand why, as the founder of the company, he suddenly felt like they were going to do bad things. I'm still a little confused about his motivation just because what bad things were they doing? Because every time something was questionable, oh, everything's being recorded. Yeah, but people are on their best behavior when they're being recorded. So maybe that's a good thing. He he just never really had a winning pitch. Why would you just suddenly think, okay, you founded the company. Now you're off the grid. Now you're kind of against the company, but yet you're still in the company. What are you doing, bro? Like, what 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 are you doing with your life? So I feel like the the point in which he pulls May aside to tell her all this top secret stuff, who he is and what's going on, is right after the political thing where they've ousted this politician for being dishonest, right? She was being dishonest about something. But as we know how politics go, in reality, she was probably, oh, she was the one who was against the circle. She was against the transparency. She was against something that was happening in the circle. And now all of a sudden the FBI is investigating her. And I think that's his point. I think his point is that he never meant for it to be some large, huge thing that could control the country. He wanted it to help people. He wanted it to be a beautiful way for people to stay in touch and people to connect the point of Facebook. We want to see those people that we haven't seen in 15 years that we went to high school with every now and then when we feel like clicking on their profile and seeing what they've been up to. But it was sort of turning into this monster where you've got the two figureheads of the company now, Tom Hanks, and who's that other guy? Patton Oswald. Okay, every single time I see him, I think of Match.com. And I don't know why. I don't know if he's on commercials for them or eHarmony or something. But every time I see him, it's the secret life of Walter Mitty. It's the secret life of Walter Mitty. <laughs> yes. Okay. So because this whole movie, I'm like, I just kept thinking, why is the Match.com guy the leader of Circle? <laughs> so we've got these two figureheads of the company, and they are literally turning into these figures that are controlling the entire country. They are controlling the FBI. I mean... The president has a hard time controlling the FBI. Like, and now you've got these two powerful, rich tech leaders controlling everything. And I think that that's his point of that's what he didn't want. But it doesn't clarify it enough. It doesn't delve deep into it enough 
that you know that that's what he's against. It doesn't come right out and say it. It just sort of happens to happen after that scene where the politician is getting investigated. I feel like this movie wasn't very well put together and that say this is a story and you're telling somebody a story and it's this great, elaborate, awesome story. And then you run out of time because your bus stop is next and you got to finish the story in the next like 30 seconds. So you're just like, okay, well, this guy does this, this guy does this, this guy does, that's how it ends. I feel like that's how this movie was, where it's like all this background, we're getting on some things. And then the last 30 minutes of the movie, it's just like, oh yeah, we're out of time, but this is how it goes. And these are, the, and, and uh, it was a mess. I would definitely agree with that. I was wondering about 40 minutes into the movie, I thought, geez, I felt like the plot has gone almost nowhere in this movie. And I'm like, there's not that much time left. Where is this going to go? But at that point, you're, you're invested, right? You're like an hour into the movie. Okay. Now we just have to finish it because now I'm curious about what happens. And so, John, maybe you can answer this. Who is responsible for this movie going so wrong? Obviously, we're not blaming the actors because they're just doing what they're supposed to do. They're actors. They did their job. Whose job is it to put together this movie? You know who who's ultimately to blame for this movie? Unfortunately, as much as I hate to say this, Tom Hanks. <gasps> because it was his production company who pushed this, Playtone. and. He, strangely, so I didn't know this, so he has now done two movies adapted from novels written by the guy who wrote this book. I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he did this movie and another movie that was a huge box office bomb called A Hologram for a King. Have you guys heard of that movie? No. And I tried. The preview looked great. And then I think I lasted 15 minutes and I turned it off. It was awful. So, uh, so yeah, but sadly, it's going to fall on Tom Hanks because he was the executive producer. The reason they got to make this movie is because Tom Hanks' involvement. That's why. So here's the other thing. Tom is in his 60s now. And as filmmakers go, when they hit their 60s, they just start making bad decisions with movies. I mean, look at. You had Steven Spielberg, you, you get George Lucas. It's like, guys, uh, don't, don't do this. Stop, stop. So I think they should retire at 60. Is it because they have so much money that they don't care anymore? They can do what they want? Or it's just like, you know, when you get old and senile, you're like, whatever, I do what I want to do. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. But, but like, uh, for instance, <laughs> what, what, did you guys see the movie BFG, Big Friendly Giant? Our kids saw it, but we didn't watch it. I mean, box office, like, I, I, you can look at that and just think, oh, that just has stink written all over it. What does the BFG stand for? Because the F in that movie, I'm like, mm. big, big friendly giant is what it's supposed to friendly, stand for. Friendly, friendly, gotcha. So, uh, but I just thought, no, no, this is not going to work. And he pushes and pushes, gets Walt Disney's involvement, and it's the biggest bomb of last summer. And it's just like, Oh, what is he doing? So anyway, I don't know. I don't know what Tom Hanks is doing right now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next. But the reason the movie got made was because of his involvement and because Playtone has a production deal with Universal. Outside of the producer, we have literally no way of knowing what the screenwriters wrote because then it gets taken apart and it gets changed with cinematography and with editing and all that kind of stuff. However, very basic writing. You have a beginning, middle, and end. You have an introduction. 
you have a climax and then you have a resolution. This movie had an introduction that was really long, but also kind of short. And then it had a climax and then it ended in the middle of the climax. (laughs) Nobody likes that. Which is not what anyone wants ever, ever. (laughs) Well, and the other thing that I thought was so sad about that was I felt like they seriously could have had a two second ending that would have kind of wrapped it all up or at least let us know where the heck everything ended. You know how some movies have those where they show the pictures as the credits go and you're like, oh, that's what happens. Or, oh, there's their family 10 years down the road or, you know, whatever. It just was so open-ended. You're just like, is there like a part two to this that we just haven't seen yet? Just to revisit the whole movie ending in the middle of the climax, the climax itself still was second rate, not even second rate. I mean, probably like bottom of the Titanic rate. It was lackluster. It was lackluster for sure. For sure. Some movies, they're made to make money. The big summer blockbusters, and they're made in the generic hero format where the hero goes on an adventure, they win, the good guys win, the bad guys lose. Everybody loves the movie because that's what they wanted to see. It makes millions of dollars. And some movies are made to be an art film where they're just a piece of art that not a lot of people are going to understand. They're not made to make money. It's just an art piece to go out there and say what it wants to say. This movie, I feel like, falls somewhere in between that to where, for me, it was sold as a blockbuster film where I'm like, okay, you know, this is going to be good. I was excited about it. But then it was more like an art movie where I could see the point they were trying to make about technology and privacy. And I thought that was a good point to make and it was something to get out there. But at the same time, it was done in such a weird, awkward way. I felt that maybe it was an art film from the film festivals, something that I wouldn't really want to watch. I don't know. Johnny, I should let you guys know that Johnny does not like indie films. He thinks they're strange generally. And anytime we watch a movie, he goes, what was that on Sundance? <laughs> That's my tell, my no. You know, if, if you see the preview and then it has, oh, Sundance Festival of the Year, I'm like, okay, I'm not watching that movie. So if any of you guys like indie movies, come to my house and watch them with me because I'm lonely. <laughs> if it has any of those awards, I won't even take a second look at it. I don't want to watch that movie. <laughs> Does anyone have anything to say about music, visuals, or the effects, which I believe are almost none, but. Let me throw out, just as far as the cinematography, I thought it had some great wide shots and some really, really cool imagery. But one thing that drove me crazy about this movie was the fact that they did a lot of Steadicam shots. And so the camera was constantly in motion. And for me, I just think, please, can they have these things called tripods. Back in the day, they used to just use those. And only occasionally use Steadicams. Now they're always using Steadicams. Sometimes it's fine, but for me, it got distracting for this movie because I thought, okay, are we ever going to stop moving so that I can actually hear what these people are saying? Because all I can think about is we're going in circles around these people. So about the music, I loved the music. The music I thought was really cool and kind of techie. It's kind of like what you would hear if you called Apple and you were on hold. But... It was suspenseful. The music made me feel suspense. And the movie was only a little bit suspenseful. Like, so I feel like maybe the music wasn't quite right because it made me feel suspenseful, which maybe even led more so to the feeling 
that the ending was like wah wah. And then I loved how we were seeing May's character a lot through the eyes of all the little cameras everywhere. I thought that was really cool. And I absolutely loved the comments popping up all over the screen. Like, that is so modern. That's not even my generation. That's a younger generation than me. I'm 30 years old. Even that's like a more teenager generation kind of thing, you know, where your whole life is going to be dictated by comments popping up on your screen. Like, I love that part of the movie. I thought that was so cool. And the things the comments said were so funny. They were so funny. And some were so real. Like some were like, oh, I would comment that on my friend's post. And some, I was thinking my husband has this best friend and they say the weirdest things to each other. And some I was like, okay, this is a conversation between Johnny and his best friend. They were just random weird comments that made no sense to anyone but the two of them. Even though May probably doesn't know these people, they're like sharing these tidbits of their lives through these comments. I don't even remember what they were, but I thought they were really cool. Yeah, I would agree with that. Visually, I remember thinking in some of the shots, I remember thinking like, wow, this is really pretty. We're watching it on this big screen and it's nice and gorgeous. I'm like, wow, this is great, you know. So I remember thinking that during some of the scenes. So I think they did a really good job filming it. And the music, I don't remember it at all. So I don't know if you're supposed to remember music or not. Maybe that's a good sign. Maybe that's a bad sign. Take it what it's worth. Another thing that I was going to mention as well is something that McKinsey had said about the bubbles popping up for the messaging because they did it in, in sort of a transparent, you know, it would pop up for a few seconds and then go away. And I feel like a lot of times in movies, they're trying different things. They're trying to figure out how to show that in a movie because it's on your phone. You see it, you pick it up, you're going through the comments and they're popping up. But that's a really boring way to show it because you got to do like an over the shot or the phone's got to take up the whole view. So you're looking at a phone instead of the character. And a lot of the other ways that different movies have done it, I haven't really been that impressed with it. But the way that this movie does it, I feel like they did a really good job where you could see May, you can see her reaction to the different comments popping up. And, you know, you could tell, I thought, and another thing, like McKinsey said, I thought they did a really good job of putting realistic comments on there where some were serious, some were just funny, some were just weird things that people would say, like, has nothing to do with what's going on. Uh, and so I really enjoyed reading those comments as they flashed by. Well, just as we've been sitting here talking, I imagine that I wonder if it was much of a stretch for Emma Watson to play May when she was being transparent, because I know that she took some time off to go to Brown University for a while. I don't think she finished her degree. I think she did two years and then she came back. But I think she kind of lives that life of being transparent as far as, I mean, just her, her notoriety from all of the movies that she's been in these days. That'd be a tough bubble to live in, I think. That's another hot topic that I feel really strongly about. Like these celebrities, they want their privacy and yet they also want literally our money. We are literally paying their salaries for their movies for their magazines, for their Ellen interviews, for all of it, we're paying for it. You know what I mean? Maybe not the daytime TV because that's with ads and ads are weird. But, you know, as far as movies, we're going to the movie theater and we're watching them and that's how they're getting money. And they want our money and they want us to love them so much that we go see them on TV, but they don't want us to follow them around. They don't want us to like know what their private lives are like. That's really odd. 
Let me tell you, if I had a talent to share with people that people liked, follow me all day and pay me millions of dollars. Like, I will take your $20 million and you can follow me all day. You know what I mean? Like, that's something I feel, maybe other people don't feel that way, but I feel so strongly about that specifically for celebrities. They are celebrities because of us, because of normal people. And yet they don't want normal people to know what their real life is like. That's selfish. (laughs) I can't think of a better way to say that. Well, all they have to do is look at history and look at the history of Hollywood and Hollywood stars and think, do I or do I not want this life? Whether you want to call it a cautionary tale or not, but stories of Marilyn Monroe or whoever, all these people have these lives that are, are made out to be so glamorous. And yet years later, they make these movies where they're so sad and so lonely. And so... Hopefully, uh, people have a pretty realistic idea of what they're getting into before they get into it. But I don't know. Right. I mean, I think it's a choice that they're making. And so, you know, there's pros and cons to every job. And I guess that's the con. And the pro is you make tons of money. Another scene that's really riveting is there's a scene in which Mercer is trying to get away from the people that are following him. And that scene was filmed really cool. I feel like you feel like you are there with him. And drones are scary. They're like, whir. They make this whirring noise. And it's like, are the blades sharp? I don't know. Things that fly are scary. Roaches. If spiders flew. I mean, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like Things that fly are scarier than things that don't fly because we can't fly to get away from them. (laughs) So, like, imagine if a drone is chasing you. That's scary. That scene, I felt like, was good acting on his part, because you can tell he's really scared. He looks genuinely scared, and I felt really scared. Imagine if you've got people on motorcycles, and people with cameras, and cars are chasing you, and a drone is chasing you. Like, (gasps) that was a good scene. Let's talk about our overall likes or dislikes about this movie in the grand scheme of things. In the grand scheme of things, my favorite part of the movie was Annie, played by Karen Gillian. I really like her in everything she's in, and so I was glad she was in this movie. My husband has a thing for redheads. I'm not redheaded. I'm (laughs) pink-headed. Close enough. I, I already said what my favorite part of the movie was. It was that scene where she says what the audience is thinking out loud about going down the dark corridor with a stranger. But I really disliked the ending. I really cannot stand and have so little tolerance for movies that end abruptly without wrapping it up and without you knowing what their future life looks like. I really can't stand that. And this movie, I'm sorry, this is a spoiler. It does that. I did enjoy seeing them push the boundaries of technology and really to a level where it's foreseeable for where we are now. Because I feel like a lot of movies, especially when you get into sci-fi, of course, they push technology to like, oh, you're never going to imagine where that could be part of your every day. But I appreciated that they pushed the bounds just enough where this could be, you know, realistic for tomorrow. And you could see that. And it was interesting kind of going down that road as far as that aspect was concerned. But Other than that, I kind of was uh, left wanting more. I think it's interesting because that's where I was really hoping it was going to push further 
when they were talking about May becoming transparent, I thought, oh, this is going to be so cool. She's going to put a chip in her head and everything she thinks, all of her thoughts will be known by everyone. I wanted it to go a little bit further because I thought it, uh, having a chip in her head or somehow connecting her brain to the internet was going to be where they were taking it. But alas, it did not go there. But I did enjoy Overall, I did enjoy Tom Hanks being in this movie. I loved watching Patton Oswalt. I thought Annie was pretty fun to watch. And to see her happier uh, at one point when she was on the Scottish countryside, I thought was really cool. And even though she was having a conversation, what looked like via FaceTime with, I, I think they were talking via Circle, whatever the Circle app was. But I thought that even though... She was being shot on a, was obviously a phone or a mobile device. I thought they did a really good job making it look cool because uh, she looked obviously way different and way healthier too. Let's talk about our ratings for this movie. Who wants to go first? Johnny, what rating would you give this movie? So again, this is a scale of one to 10 based on how you were entertained. So I would give this movie... I would give this movie a three or a four. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's high or low. Like you, everyone's reacting astonished. Out of 10, I would say that's pretty low. Yeah. I feel like, because for me, the movie experience is how I feel when the movie's over. Yes. I have a really hard time with like remembering things. And so I, <laughs> I remember feelings more. So if I'm watching a movie halfway and I'm like, oh yeah, this is really entertaining. I don't get that. I remember how I feel at the end of the movie when it's over, when it's all done and I'm driving home from the theater. How do I feel? And I did not feel good coming out of this movie. Like I was a little bit, I wasn't angry. Sometimes I'm very angry if, if they're really just a horrible ending. Cause for me, that's uh, 90% of the movies, how you end this thing. And this, I mean, it bombed the ending of this movie. So for me, it's got some cool things in it. The ideas in it are cool. But just the delivery of itself, if they want to remake the whole movie, you know, I'll try watching it again and seeing it again because the ideas and stuff in it were appealing to me. But man, just the way they did it, it's, I don't know. I would not recommend this movie to anyone. <laughs> that's so funny because that's exactly what I was thinking as well. I was going to give it a three out of ten. And I would also not recommend this movie to anyone at all. Not kids. Not even your toddlers who don't know what's going on. This movie is definitely not for toddlers. <laughs> Do not let your toddlers in the room while you're watching this movie. I was thinking before you said out of 10, I was thinking like a three out of five. It's a little bit better than the middle. You know, I'm not indifferent towards it. Like I liked it. I enjoyed it. But really, I am so much like my husband in that I don't like movies with crappy endings. I want to leave the situation. I want to leave the movie happy. I want to leave it excited. So I don't even watch sad movies because I don't want to leave sad. I want to leave uplifted with something to think about on my mind with a bit of excitement about something. And at the end of this movie, I just felt sort of confused. What happened? What really happened? How am I supposed to feel? I don't know how to feel, and I don't like feeling confused. So three out of five would really be six out of ten, but then six out of ten seems kind of high. <laughs> so then I'm sort of thinking it's more like five out of ten for me. 
I stand with Mackenzie. I give it a five. I mean, they made the movie. So, I mean, I think that, you know, you got to give them at least a five for completing the job. You know, no, you I mean, don't. they made the effort. No, you don't. This I is... mean, they made the effort. We got something to watch. But I think my biggest disappointment was that it wasn't a great movie and that we didn't have more fun watching it because I felt the pressure was kind of on to watch something really good together. And I would have loved to have discussed Wonder Woman, but maybe we would have talked about the same things, but it would have been fun to discuss that one with with you guys again. But, you know, we ended up doing the circle and that was, I think, my biggest disappointment was, oh, why couldn't this movie have just been better? So I, I sit right around a five. I had no problem identifying which scenes I needed to be tuned into for key information and, and scenes that were just moving the story from A to B because I got up a lot during the movie. The going to the potty scenes? The going to the potty, uh, yes, yes. The go pee scenes, I think, is the name of the app. So I will say, though, that even though none of us necessarily liked this movie, we had plenty of things to think about and talk about about the points that the movie brought up. So even though I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to someone unless they were really bored, um, or unless they were just like super into tech and super into Emma Watson or ideas of the future, I wouldn't really recommend or it. Or what? Redheads. Or redheads. <laughs> she was only redheaded for like such a small part of the movie, though. It was like one brief scene, Johnny. I don't like her because she's redheaded. Sure. We'll go, we'll, we'll go into that later. Not on this podcast. It's way too long. But even though we didn't like the movie, we still had a lot to think about during and after the movie and a lot to discuss from the concepts that were presented during the movie. Yeah. One of the things that I, that I was looking at as I was thinking about this movie was what makes a successful movie Obviously, if it makes money, it's successful. So in this case, the estimated budget for the movie is $18 million. So that's the cost to make the movie. And then when they go in, you look at it was grossed here on Wikipedia. It's grossed $33 million worldwide. So, you know, it seems like they more than broke even. So maybe that is what they were trying to do. Maybe they're like, okay, this is not going to be a big blockbuster. But at least if we're not in the red by the time we're done, then we'll call that a success. So maybe that's what this movie is trying to do. Maybe they got into it and they're like, we just need to try to get some really good people in here to cut this down and make a great trailer so we can have enough people come see it so that way, you know, we can make money off of it. I love people who make trailers. That is such a cool job. I just want to watch trailers sometimes. Yeah, we just watch trailers sometimes. Because that's really good. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, this is great. Let's just watch a bunch of trailers. Yeah, we just watch trailers because they're so good. And then usually, even if it's a movie that we feel is inappropriate for the things that we like to watch, the trailer's still pretty good. (laughs) Or we go, oh, turn it off quick. Don't look. This is scary. I'm going to have nightmares. John, would you recommend this movie to anybody? If somebody liked Emma Watson, I would recommend this movie. I would love to get an opinion of the millennials. Are you guys millennials or is that younger than you guys? Technically, I'm millennial. I just turned 30. Okay. I'm like Generation Y, Generation Z, something. I don't know what it is. (laughs) But technically, like because of my age, I think I'm a millennial. But he's three years older than me and so he's old. (laughs) I'm technically Generation X. 
Anyway, so no, um, if somebody liked Emma Watson, I would recommend it to them. It wasn't a terrible movie. It it just wasn't. I think you're being generous. It was a terrible movie. It was a terrible movie. Let's just let's just tell, say it how it is. It was it was thought provoking, but failed in many places. Yeah, in this case, I would say that the Rotten Tomatoes low score that it has holds true. Versus when we watched Baywatch, we felt that that score was harsh, and we enjoyed it much more than the ratings gave it on Baywatch. But in this case, believe the ratings because it's not amazing. Right. I wasn't sure what people were expecting from Baywatch when they gave it such a low score. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't expecting much more than we got out of the 21 Jump Street series. And so it was right up my alley, just like Chips. You know, same kind of thing. And see, like this movie had Tom Hanks in it. And Tom Hanks is such, I don't know if blockbuster is the right word, but he's such a figure he's such a god of the movie world and so you see him and then you've got emma watson who will forever and ever and ever and ever be famous forever like everyone forever will always know who she is because of harry potter even if beauty and the beast hadn't done well or doesn't do well in the future the harry potter series was important to our generation growing up and it will continue to be important to future generations. It'll be one of those series that everyone will watch. And so you've got these two really big names in this movie. It's disappointing. Well, I think that about wraps it up for our podcast for today. I would like to especially thank our special guests, Johnny and Mackenzie, for joining us. I'm really glad that we got to do this podcast with you guys. It was super fun. And thanks for having us. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, too. If you want to find more of us, you can find us nowhere because we aren't anywhere. <laughs> they cannot be found. You will never find out who they are or know anything about them. <laughs> They're not in the circle. If you want to hear more of our podcast, we can be found on the Growler Media Network. You can only find us on Facebook because we don't check anything else. So. Only go to Facebook. So tonight my energy was brought by local honey that Letty brought home from work. That's all I had. I am going to agree with John. That's what I was eating as well. <laughs> One of my coworkers has bees at home and he makes honey. And so we have local honey. Literally local. Tonight I was drinking Kirkland's Signature Purified Water. It tastes the best purified water that you can buy in Southern Florida. Bottled water wise. You can't go wrong. Definitely don't drink the other South Florida, Southwest Florida, Central Florida bottled water. It's minerally. I was energized by the idea that as soon as we are done talking, I am going to go open up a pint of a specific German brand of ice cream that has a brand new non-dairy flavor that is chocolate truffle. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> So thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, knowing is good, but knowing everything is better. John and I have had conversations about the RFID chips. We've had conversations about the RIF 
chips. RFID. John and I have had conversations about the RFID. <laughs> I have to see RF RFID. ID? Yeah, okay. radio frequency. Okay. Wow, something is really different on the growler. 